Pasuk in this week's Pasuk says, Lech ve'asafta zikne Yisrael. Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu to go and gather together the zikne Yisrael, the elders of Klal Yisrael. Ve'amarta aleim and say to them, Hashem eleikei avayseichem, the God of your forefathers, Nira Eli has appeared to me, eleikei Avram, Yitzchak, v'yakov, Lamar, the God of Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, to say, Pakod pakadati eschem. I have surely remembered you. And that which is being done to you in Mitzrayim. Rashi Tupsukim later explains the significance of the words Pakod Pakadati. Pakod Pakadati means again, I have surely remembered you. Rashi says, Why will Klal Yisrael listen to Moshe Rabbeinu? Mekivin Shatimer Lehem Lashon once Moshe Rabbeinu says the words Pakod Pakadati. Yishmu l'koylech, l'kolcha, they will listen to your voice. Shekvar simen zeh moser b'yodah me'yakov v'me'yosef. Because this sign was passed down from Yaakov and Yosef. Shebeloshon zeh heim negalim. Because with this language they were redeemed. Yaakov amr lahem ve'eloikim pakoid yifkoid eschem. Yaakov said to them, Hashem will surely remember you. And Yosef said to them, The very last thing that Yosef HaTzadik said was, Hashem will surely remember you. That means that the language of Pakoid Pakadati, when Moshe Rabbeinu says it to Klal Yisrael, is a sign that was passed down. They had a tradition that when there will be a leader who will come and say the words Pakoid Pakadati, that will be a simon that redemption is coming. The Balei explained that in the words Pakaid Pakadati, there is a hint to the 400 years that Klal Yisrael was supposed to serve in Eretz Mitzrayim. That Hashem would release them only after, only after 210 years, 190 years earlier than expected, because the gematria of Pakaid is 190. So Pakadati could mean lost or diminished, so Pakoid Pakadati would mean then that Moshe Rabbeinu was saying to them, I'm causing you to lose 190 years of your slavery in Mitzrayim. There's two questions over here. Question number one is what is the connection between the words Pakoid Pakadati that Moshe Rabbeinu says and the Pakoid Pakadati of Yaakov and Yosef, just because they happen to be the same words? And number two, what is the inner meaning? What is the deeper Torah behind the words Pakoid Pakadati? What does it mean that just because Moshe Rabbeinu says Hashem will surely remember you, how does that in any way mean that there will be a redemption coming? In order to understand this, we have to go back to last week's parsha of Parshas Vayechi. And the Torah that I'm telling you over today is a Torah from Rav Shal Alter Shlita, who's the Rosh Hashiva of the Gary Yeshiva, a tremendous Tamachacham, a very big tzaddik. And the Torah that I'm telling you, this is not my own Torah, it's a very beautiful Torah. Rashal Alter says as follows, if you go back to Parshas Vayechi, so Parshas Vayechi is called a Parsha Stuma. Did you learn that last week? It's a closed-off Parsha. What does it mean to be a closed-off Parsha? Between every single Parsha, there are spaces. There are what we call Stumos and Psuchos. Stumos are parshas that start on the same line as the previous parsha, and there's a break of nine letters. 
Psuchos means the next parsha starts on the next line. How do we count the parshios? We look for the break. If it's a parsha that's psucho, if it's a parsha that's open, it means the next parsha starts on the next line. If it's a parsha that's stuma, it starts on the same line, but there is a nine-letter break. There is only one parsha in the entire Torah that's called a parsha stuma, where there's no break whatsoever, and that is between vayigash and vayichi. The last pasuk of the word vayigash and the first pasuk of vayichi have no breaks in them whatsoever. They appear to be one long parsha. The obvious question is then, how do we know that they are two parshios? And what's the significance of the fact that parshas vayechi is a parsha stuma with no break whatsoever? So Chazal tell us, Nistimu einehem veliban shal Yisrael mitzaras hashibud. The fact that parshas vayechi is called a parsha that's stuma, that's completely closed, is because something else was closed. In this time, what was closed off? What was closed off was the eyes and the hearts of Klal Yisrael at that time. Nistumu e'nehem v'liban shel Yisrael. Why were they closed off? Mitzara sashibud, because of the servitude that they are enduring in Mitzrayim. So we have now in front of us several questions. Question number one is how in fact do we know that Vayigash and Vayichi are two separate parshios. Normally, how do we know that something is two separate parshios? As we said a moment ago, there's a break. Either there's a break of nine letters, or there's a break to the next line. Here we have a parsha that appears to be just a continuation. And not only that, there's an obvious question on Rashi. Rashi is saying, Chazal say, It's a reflection of the fact that their eyes were closed and their hearts were closed. Why? Because of the tsar, because of the anguish, the pain of the servitude in Mitzrayim. Girls, remember, this is all the way back in Parshas Vayechi. When does the tsara of Shibud Mitzrayim begin? Not in Vayechi, correct. In Shmos. So what in the world is going on over here? We have Rashi telling us that the reason why Vayigash and Vayechi are sasum is because of the tsara of the Sheba, because of the anguish of the servitude in Mitzrayim. When will the servitude in Mitzrayim begin? Not until Shmos. So why is the Sheba already considered as having begun from Parshas Vayechi? Listen to what the Maral says. The Maral says as follows, there's two reasons that we know that Vayigash and Vayechi are two separate parshios. I know I'm moving fast, but that's because there's a point that I want to get to. There's two reasons the Maral says that we know that there's a difference between parshas Vayigash and Vayechi and that they're not one long parsha. The first reason is because we have a Kabbalah, we have a Mesora, we have a tradition from Ezra HaSofer that they are in fact two separate parshios. So that's the obvious, easy answer. You know how we know that they're two separate parshas? Because that's the way it's always been taught. There was a tradition all the way from the time of Ezra HaSover that these are two separate parshas. But the Maral gives a second answer, and it's a fascinating answer. The Maral says, because the themes of Vayigash and Vayechi are two totally separate themes. And this is going to give us a tremendous insight into two things. Number one how you know that Vayigash and Vayechi are two separate parshios, and two, 
why the tsara of the Shibud begins already in Parshas Vayechi and not in our Parsha in Parsha Shmos. Of course, by understanding these things, we're going to answer our initial question of what is the inner meaning of Pakod Pakadati? Why do these words symbolize redemption? And Rushal Alter explains as follows. Let's go back to the very last Sukkim in Parshas Vayigash. Listen to the words. Vayeshev Yisrael Be'eretz Mitzrayim. And Klal Yisrael lived, Vayeshev, they settled in the land of Mitzrayim. Be'eretz Goshen, in the land of Goshen. Vayeachsuba. What does Vayeachsuba mean? They grabbed onto it. Vayifru Vayirbu Ma'od. And they became fruitful and they multiplied greatly. Says of Shal Alter. The theme of Vayigash is not that Klal Yisrael happened to be in Mitzrayim. The theme of Vayigash, and this is what brings about the Parsha Hastuma, this is what brings about the Nistimu Enei and Baliban Shal Klal Yisrael because of Mitzorah Hashibud, because of the Tzoros of Mitzrayim, because Vayeshvu, not that they just happened to live in Mitzrayim, but Vayeshev Yisrael Be'eretz Mitzrayim, they settled the land. They didn't just live there, they identified as Egyptians. They became a part of the fabric of the land. What does it mean, It means they grabbed onto it. When does Gullus begin? Listen carefully. Gullus, the Sheba of Mitzrayim, does not begin when we have an Egyptian taskmaster. The Sheba of Mitzrayim does not begin when we're being whipped or when we're being baked into bricks. <laughs> Not great timing, but I am thirsty. The Shibur of Mitzrayim begins when a person begins to identify as something other than being a Jew. They start to identify with the Gullus. Why is that? Why do we do that? The Alter Rebbe in Tanya explains as follows, and this is relevant to every single person in this room. I hope that your eyes and your hearts will be open to hearing this. Every single person in this room, including myself, experiences what we call a lack of belonging. That's what exile is. Exile is, do I belong here? The feeling of, I'm not at ease, I'm not at rest, I'm not comfortable because I don't know if this place is mine. There's a reason we say there's no place like home. Because when we go home, when we walk into our rooms, when we lie down in our beds, they're our beds. They have the contours of our body, our stuff, uninterrupted by other people's stuff. We have our own space. It's a place of belonging. Lo aleinu, if a child feels uncomfortable at home, if a child feels when he walks into his own house that this is not my place of belonging, what will that child be experiencing? That child will be experiencing exile in their own land. That's why the job of a parent, more than anything, is to help our children feel that this is their home, that this is where they can show up and be real, that this is where they can bring their problems. If a child complains to a parent about the parent. What is the child saying? I care 
about you. I care about this relationship and I feel comfortable in this relationship to express my frustrations, my disappointments, my anger, my rage against the way that I'm being treated. If a child gets angry at a parent, that means on some level you've been tremendously successful. A child who closes up, who doesn't share, who doesn't feel comfortable to say, I don't like what's happening in this relationship, it's because they fail to see the belonging that they have in their home. And that is much more dangerous. It's normal and it's natural and it's healthy for teenagers to get frustrated and express their frustration. It's not comfortable for us as parents. Maybe we feel like it's a lack of gratitude for everything that we do. But given the choice, if a parent could choose between a child who expresses their anger and a child who bottles everything up because they say there's no safe place for me to be myself in this home, we would absolutely every day of the week choose to create the space where our children feel comfortable even expressing their anger and frustration and disappointment at us. Why? Because ultimately it means that the child has a sense of belonging. And that is redemptive. You can be yourself when you have a place of belonging. You are exiled when you feel like you don't belong. In the beginning of this year in Tomer Devorah, every single girl in this room was in a state of exile. You walked in and there was a question that you were asking yourself. Is this my seminary? Do I feel comfortable? Do I have friends? When you have drama in the dorms with your friends, you pull back. And why do you pull back? Because you say, I don't know if it's my place. The first time that you have a, let's say, a girl, I'm sure it never happened this year, but let's say it happened, and it definitely happened, but I'm sure it didn't happen, but let's say it happened. Just to bring a couple of you back in. Let's say you have a girl that gets into a fight with another girl two weeks into the year. You know what the first thing she says is? I'm thinking about switching stems. Uh, a little too close to home for some of you. Why? Why do we do that? It doesn't happen in the same way with Shanabat. Why do we do that? You know what the answer is? Because I don't yet know if it's my place. And anytime I don't know if I have a sense of belonging, you know what my first feeling is? Run. I have to run because I don't know if I feel anchored here. I don't know if I feel comfortable here. When we have a deep friendship and there's a rift in the friendship, there's enough belonging to go back and say, let's work this out because we both have a deep sense of belonging here. When we don't have a deep sense of belonging, as Klal Yisrael has not had throughout history, whether it was in Spain or in Russia or in Poland or in Czechoslovakia or even today in America, where a Jew is asking themselves the question, do I belong? Am I loved by these nations? Will they allow me to be free to practice my Judaism? You know what our response historically has been? Vayeshev vayeyachsu. The reason why we identify by our gullus is because by identifying through our gullus, we're saying, look, I'm enough. Love me. Here I am. If I'm an American Jew and not a Jewish American, if I walk around and I proudly sing the Star Spangled Banner and I could just put in the front of my shul uh, an American flag, and if we could pledge allegiance every morning, and if we walk around, then we won't make anyone uncomfortable with our Jewishness. If I could just be more American, then maybe I'll have a sense of belonging here. And it gets very frustrating, because every single time throughout history that we identify through our gullus, and we say, no, 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 I'm a Russian, I'm a Spaniard, I'm a Frenchman, I'm Italian, I'm a Polish Jew, I'm a Czechoslovakian, I'm an American. 
I'm a Canadian. Every single time it happens, our host country looks at us and says, this place doesn't belong to you. <coughs> the Shibud of Mitzrayim began at the very end of Parshas Vayigash, when we grabbed onto the land and we said, I am my exile. That's the way I become comfortable. That's the theme of Parshas Vayigash. <coughs> and at that moment, I'll tell you a secret. If you want to have an open heart to your Yiddishkeit, if you want to have open eyes and be able to see Hashem, then you have to identify as a Jew. Because that's what we are. America is a land that we live. It's a country, like many countries that we've lived in throughout history. But it doesn't define our essence. We can be Jews in Russia, we can be Jews in America, Poland, France, Russia, Italy, it makes no difference. We can be anywhere, because we're Jews wherever we go. To be an American is a location. Perhaps it's even to believe in a set of ideals, but it doesn't define the nature of your soul. Gullus begins when you close your eyes to God, and you close your hearts to God because you stop identifying by what you are. There's a tragedy that occurs in every one of our lives, in every single person in this room, including myself. At some point, we lose the courage to be ourselves because we're in exile. Maybe it happened in first grade, maybe it happened in fifth grade, maybe it happened in ninth grade. Maybe it happened this year and maybe it's happening to you right now. But in some, in some weird way, when we feel like we don't belong, we have to go, okay, so I'm like everybody else. And you lose contact with yourself. The first grader that's precocious, that's, that's got a big mouth, and she's lots of fun, and then one girl makes fun of her, could shut her mouth for the next 20 years of her life. For 20 years, she could shut her mouth because somebody made fun of her, because somebody told her, you need to exile yourself. You need to be like every one of us if you want to have a sense of belonging here. That girl could show up on a date at 22 years old, and the reason that she's not able to be her fun, geschmack, out there self is because somebody told her when she was seven years old, you're such a nerd, shut your mouth. And she does. She closes her heart, and she closes her eyes. She loses a sense of connection to herself, and because of that, she loses a sense of connection to, her, uh, to others. She loses the way in which she sees the world. Her eyes have been closed. And every one of us has a unique way that we see the world. But once we begin to identify with the exile and we say, No, you lose your sense of self. It's a tragedy to watch. It's one of the worst things. You see girls, they came in one way out of 8th grade into ninth grade. By the time they leave in 12th grade, they're completely different. And I don't mean in terms of their behavior. I mean in terms of their personality. What happened to that fun-loving, geschmack girl? You know what happened? She got turned off. I don't mean turned off from Yiddishkeit. I mean they literally turned it off. They turned off the machine. They turned her off. You be like everybody else. You fit in. Don't be unique. It's a tragedy. It's a tragedy of epic proportions. And it's the responsibility of every single person, of every single educational institution, to foster an environment that's safe for people to be their unique and creative self. The reason why bullying is so damaging is because bullying takes a person and says, don't be yourself. You be what we want you to be. 
And people are bullied all the time. Some people are bullied with their fists. And some people are bullied much worse than that. They're bullied into losing their creativity. And it's a tragedy. What is the secret of redemption? The secret of redemption. Listen to the words of Roshala Alter now. He says, unbelievably beautiful idea. In Vayigash, we went down to Mitzrayim. In Vayigash, we identified as the Gullus. In Vayichi, Yosef Atzadik, like Yaakov before him, teaches us the secret of redemption. What is the secret of redemption? Listen to the words of the Pasuk. Yosef Yosef said to his brothers, I am about to die. Ve'elokim pakod yifkod eschem. Hashem will surely remember you. Ve'hala eschem in aretz hazoz, and he will raise you up from this land. Ela aretz asher nishba la'avram le'yitzchok Yaakov. He's going to raise you up from this land and bring you to a different land. What is the secret of pakod pakadati? Now I'm going to teach you a Gemara. Don't get nervous. It's okay. It's going to be okay. We're going to get through it together. Let's say someone is Tame Mace and they touch a grape. All the girls who want to know what, uh, what the boys are learning Gemara all day, now you know, yeah? If someone is Tame Mace, thank you for that. If someone is Tame Mace and they touch a grape and now somebody takes those grapes that the Tame Mace touched and squeezes those grapes and makes grape juice, there's a question in the Gemara. Are those, is that grape juice Tame? Or is that grape juice tahor? And the Gemara has the following question. Muvla blii opakad pkidi. Or is grape juice absorbed into the grape itself? And therefore, when the person who's tame mace touches the grape, he's touching the grape juice? Or maybe mifkad pkidi. When he touches the grape, he's touching the grape. But the grape juice that's inside of every grape is its own separate and extant thing. It's contained within the grape, but it's not the grape itself. In other words, says Rav Shal Alter, the secret of Pakod Pkidi is you are contained within, but you are not. You are contained within, but you are not. Listen to what Yosef Atzadik says to his brothers. And this is Yosef Atzadik and Yaakov Avinu and Moshe Rabbeinu in a moment speaking to every person in this room, mostly myself. You might be in Gullus, but you are not the Gullus. Pakod Yifkod, listen to the words. Listen to the words of Yosef Atzadik. The words of Yosef Atzadik are amazing. The hala eschem in aretz hazos el aretz asher nishba la'avram liyitzchok liyakov. Hashem will surely remember you and what? And he will take you out of this land, to the land that was given to your forefathers. You know why? Because you don't belong here. Vayichi is a completely different theme, says the Maral from Vayigash. Vayigash is how you go into Gullus, Vayichi is how you leave. Vayigash is you went into Gullus because you said, I'm not a Jew, I'm an American, I happen to be a Jew. You leave Gullus when you remember this land is a temporary space. I don't belong in this land. I'm here. I'm contained within it. I'm Mifkad Pakid. I'm contained within it. But I'm not it. I happen to be here. This is my address right now. 
but I'm not I'm not holding on to this land. You know why? Because there's another land that was sworn to my fathers, Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, and I will be raised up and brought out of this land. That's the secret of Pakod Pakadati. This is what Yosef Atzadik says to his brothers at the end of the life. I'm about to die. You know what the brothers are saying? Yosef, if you die, how will we ever leave? Because we're already identifying with this land. You know what Yosef Atzadik says? There's going to be someone many years from now who's going to come and he's going to teach you this secret. When you hear these words from his mouth, you'll know that's the Redeemer. What's the secret? I'm going to tell you something. It's a big question. Moshe Rabbeinu gets up and he says, Pakod Pakarati, Pakod Yifkod. All of Klal Yisrael goes wild. If everybody knew that these were the secret words, what was the big deal that Moshe Rabbeinu said them? Of course he said them. Everybody knew about them. Why is this like, oh my gosh, he's the real deal. If everybody knew, if we had a Mesorah, then everybody knew. Why was everyone going crazy? There's many different answers to this question. One of the answers is that it was only Serach Bas Asher who knew that this is what Yosef HaTzadik said to the brothers. And it was Serach Bas Asher who told everybody, ah, that's the secret code, he's real. And then everyone went crazy. Others say, no, everybody knew. But there was one person that didn't know because he didn't grow up in a Jewish home. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't know because he grew up in the house of Paro. So when he said it, everyone was like, oh my gosh, he said the secret words even though he didn't know. It must be he's real. Different answers, very beautiful answers. I have a third answer. With humility, but I think this is true. It wasn't the words that Moshe Rabbeinu said. It was the feeling that he created in every member of Klal Yisrael when he said it. You know, there's such a thing as an inspiring personality. But an inspiring personality doesn't come from dynamism or charisma. In fact, what do we know about Moshe Rabbeinu? He wasn't a dynamic speaker at all. He was very, very much the opposite of a dynamic speaker. But you know what Moshe Rabbeinu had? He had the capacity to touch the hearts of Jews. He had the capacity to whisper their names. And I'll explain to you what this means. The Baal Shem Tov teaches that when somebody falls and they faint, so you could scream at them and they won't wake up. But the Baal Shem Tov says sometimes if you whisper their name in their ear, because their name is their essence, all of a sudden they'll wake up. This, says the Baal Shem Tov, is the secret of Hasidus. It's whispering Hashem's name in the ears of Klal Yisrael to wake them up and inspire them. Listen to the godless of Moshe Rabbeinu. When Moshe Rabbeinu got up to speak, he was not a charismatic speaker, he was not a dynamic speaker, he didn't have the room. I imagine even in the times of Moshe Rabbeinu, there were people proverbially on their cell phones, sitting in the back, trying to avoid listening to what he said. That's not what made Moshe Rabbeinu great. What made Moshe Rabbeinu great? When he spoke, the people woke up. The words that he said restored their pride. You know how powerful that is. When Moshe Rabbeinu said, Pakod Yifkod Eschem, Pakod Pakadati, God will surely remember you. Something happened inside the hearts of every single Jew. In Parshas Vayigash, Nistemu Eneyem Beliban Shel Yisrael. Their hearts were closed because they identified as Egyptians. When Moshe Rabbeinu said, I'm here to take you out, they believed him. There are certain types of Rebbeim that have a Kayach. 
It's a kayak greater than any other kayak, and not every Rebbe has this kayak. There are Rebbeim that are superior Talmidei Chachamim. There are Rebbeim that are amazing speakers. They don't necessarily go together. But there's a third type of Rebbe, a third type of teacher, a third type of Mechanechet, a Rakezet, whatever you want to call this person, a third type of Mashpia. Somebody that when they look at you and they say to your heart, wake up, this is not who you are, somehow when they say it, your eyes open up and your heart opens up and you say, right, you reminded me of who I truly am. Every one of us in our lives have had moments where we saw those teachers and we wanted them to say to us, wake up, this is not who you are. I know I did. I know when I was in high school, there were certain teachers that I was looking at them and going, you know, if you'll pay attention to me and you'll tell me to wake up and you'll tell me to start doing the right thing, I would. But unfortunately, in my case, at least in high school, I didn't have those rebellion. They didn't know. They just looked at me and said, ah, Berg's a bum, he's not really davening, he's not really learning. So they, you know, they put me in the back. You know, you know, when I say the back, I don't mean the back of the class. They might have moved me to the front of the class, but they kept me very much in the back of the class. You know, some kids are invited to be in the front of the class, and it's just the teacher's way of controlling them. Other kids are invited into the front of the class because the teacher actually wants to hear what they have to say. I was always invited to sit in the front of the class so that I wouldn't do too much damage. The people that sat next to me were actually learning. Two very different people sitting in the front of the class. There was a time in high school where there was a group of kids, 11th and 12th graders, they combined the class... And they said, you guys are 11 and 12 C. You know what you do when you tell a kid you're in 11 and 12 C? We don't even have enough kids in one grade that should be in your class. We combine the lunatics from two grades and we put you in a class together. You know what they did? They put them in the science lab. That was their class. That's not a class for learning. That's a science lab. So what do you think these boys did, these 11 and 12 C boys? First of all, what a terrible idea. Why would you put the biggest lunatics in the school with the fire and the gas and the things that could break. So one day, one of the young men, a very good friend of mine who today is a real bentaira, but back then was only a budding bentaira, he took a long piece of metal that he found in the science lab and he took a long gas, you know, they have those rubber hoses, one of those long rubber gas hoses, and he attached them and he made a bow. And he used to be, there was such a thing called a ruler. Girls, have you ever seen a ruler? Yes. You don't know about rulers. There used to be rulers. And rulers could even be foot-long rulers. And that was the arrow. And he took the bow and arrow and he shot the window of the science lab. And the principal, all of Hashem, who was a great principal, he walked into the room and he sees the shattered window. And he sees the boys going like... And he sees the Rebbe like... And he looks at the boy who clearly did it and he goes, Shimon, not again. <laughs> And they sent them down to the basement. Because at least in the basement, there were no windows. And what did the boys call their classroom in the basement? The padded room. And there was one boy in the school again today who was a very fine Erlich Jew, a very fine Bentaira, somebody who I love very much. But he was a lunatic. He had all the letters. You know how they attach letters to your name to tell you what you are? This kid had all the letters. And there was a, a, a drink that they put in the machines in my high school. It was called Surge. You don't know what Surge is, but Surge is like Mountain Dew on steroids. And Surge, for a kid who has all the letters, is a very bad idea. 
to the degree that it was known that they took Surge out of the machines in my high school because if this kid would have Surge, he could destroy the entire high school. In fact, one day he cut class and he went to the local 7-Eleven, which was about 25 minutes away at the time. And he drove to that 7-Eleven because he heard that they had a Surge Slurpee. And he walked into school after having cut class and he shows up into his Rebbe's class with a Surge Slurpee. And the Rebbe doesn't even bat an eye. He goes, Chaim, out. <laughs> and Chaim got suspended from school. And everyone in the school was talking about it. Did Chaim get suspended because he cut school or because he bought a Surge Slurpee? It wasn't obvious to us which one it was. But I want to tell you something. The school, I know they were well-intentioned. I know that they were just trying to keep these kids out of trouble, and I know they were trying to keep them in the school. But when you put a kid in the basement and you tell him, okay, you guys are in the padded room, and we don't have any expectations of you, you know what will happen to those kids? They start to identify by their exile. This is exactly who I am. But they were very lucky because they had a Rebbe. And that Rebbe's name was Rabbi Axelrod, who today is the rabbi of the young Israel of Woodmere. Rabbi Axelrod is a very, 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 very special man, a tremendous person, and he loved these boys tremendously. And we saw in his heart that he really cared about them. And he would say to them, boys, pakod pakadati. He didn't use those words, but he was using those words. He was saying, guys, this is not who you are. You guys could be great. Even those boys that were not completely at all Shomer Shabbos or Shomer Kashrus, he told them you could be great. And there was one boy in his shir who didn't believe him. And the boy went to Eretz Yisrael and he got thrown out of his yeshiva in Eretz Yisrael. He ended up in Svat for the year. And I don't want to get into any of the details because I don't want to give any details away whatsoever. But unfortunately, his life was a mess. And he went through terrible, terrible times. And he was completely off the derech. And Rabbi Axelrod was there when he married his wife. And he was there, unfortunately, when he had to bury his wife. He was his Masader Kedushin and he also ran the Leviah. And shortly after the Leviah, this boy started sending me emails. One of my oldest friends in the entire world. And he would say, Matt, I found an article on Aish.com. I'm telling you, you're going to use it for a shear. It's a great article. And he starts sending me things from Aish, from Chabad. He's just all day long, he's sending me articles. And I had the opportunity to catch up with him. And he told me that he was Choser Bechuva. So many years later, he was Choser Bechuva. So many years later, his eyes and his heart were opened again. And I asked him, being one of my oldest friends in the world, I said to him, How'd you come back? What was the secret? He said, the secret was Rabbi Axelrod. Because he never gave up on me. All those years. That's why I chose him to be my Masada Kedushin. And why it was appropriate for him to be there by the funeral. And because he didn't give up on me, I didn't give up on myself. Because he always told me I could be better. And unfortunately, for so many years, he didn't believe it. He lost so many years of his life. Because he was Vayeshev Be'eretz Mitzrayim. He said, I am my worst moments. I am my gullus. I am a bum. I am a balavera. But he had a Rebbe who said, You might be contained within this moment, but you're not defined by it. Moshe Rabbeinu, when he got up and said it, you know how everyone knew he was telling the truth? Because all of a sudden their hearts started opening up. Because all of a sudden their eyes started opening up. Because there's a special quality to someone who we call Rabbeinu. He wasn't Rabbeinu because he knew the most halacha. You could even say Rav Akiva knew more than him. He wasn't Moshe Rabbeinu because he had the greatest level of nevuah. He was Moshe Rabbeinu because when he taught, people's hearts and their eyes opened up. They started identifying as Jews. And that's what every one of us is looking for. 
Everyone is looking for someone who will come and open up our hearts and open up our eyes and allow us to be our true selves. We're living in Gullis today and we're living in conditions where the entire world tells us that we don't belong. Look around, look around on the news. The president of Harvard just stepped down. She just resigned. Did she resign for the anti-Semitic things that she said in Congress? No. That they don't get her resigning for. But she plagiarized her papers. Now, you can't do that. You can't plagiarize your papers. You can't have ChatGPT do it for you and be the president of Harvard. But if you're anti-Semitic, if you refuse to condemn anti-Semitic things in, the, in Congress, in public, that, that's just a failure. But that we don't make you resign for. How do we feel when there's a pro-Palestinian march in Teaneck? How do we feel if we're paying attention to our feelings and not just covering them up with Netflix? We feel like we don't belong. We're in a bitter gullus today, but we're almost at the end of it. We need to restore Jewish pride. I know that sounds like a funny thing to say in an Orthodox seminary, but we need to restore Jewish pride. We need a Moshe Rabbeinu, we need a Mashiach Tzadkenu to come and open up our hearts and open up our eyes. And that's why everyone in this room is very lucky. Because this year, even though it's not the Geula Shlema, this year we get to be in Yerushalayim, Yerak Kodesh. This year we get to see what's happening in the world through the lens of someone who lives in Yerushalayim, with the heart that beats of someone in Yerushalayim. And we ask Hashem, we beg Hashem, please remind me, please remember, please remember me by teaching me that I don't belong in this place. None of us belongs in Gullis. We have two choices. We can identify as Yidin and we can leave or we can identify by the Gullus and we are trapped within you. We should all be blessed to remember that we're Jews first. America, England, Canada, Russia, Poland, Italy, Spain, South America. Those are addresses. Addresses can be changed. The Jewish soul can never be extinguished. Those have a good Shabbos.